0: Part two of Volume One of Plutarch's Parallel Lives This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Robin Cotter, October two thousand eight. Volume One of Plutarch's Parallel Lives of the Noble Greeks and Romans. Translated by Bernadotte Perrin. Theseus, Part Two. Not long afterwards there came from Crete for the third time the collectors of the tribute. Now, as to this tribute, most writers agree that because Androgeos was thought to have been treacherously killed within the confines of Attica, not only did Minos harass the inhabitants of that country greatly in war, but heaven also laid it waste, for barrenness and pestilence smote it sorely, and its rivers dried up. Also that when their God assured them in his commands that if they appeased Minos, and became reconciled to him, the wrath of heaven would abate, and there would be an end of their miseries. They sent heralds, and made their supplication, and entered into an agreement to send him every nine years a tribute of seven youths and as many maidens. And the most dramatic version of the story declares that these young men and women, on being brought to Crete, were destroyed by the Minotaur in the labyrinth, or else wandered about at their own will, and, being unable to find an exit, perished there, and that the Minotaur, as Euripides says, was, quote, a mingled form and hybrid birth of monstrous shape, unquote, and that, quote, two different natures, man and bull, were joined in him. Philochorus, however, says that the Cretans do not admit this, but declare that the labyrinth was a dungeon, with no other inconvenience than that its prisoners could not escape, and that Minos instituted funeral games in honour of Androgeos, and as prizes for the victors, gave these Athenian youth, who were in the meantime imprisoned in the labyrinth, and that the victor in the first games was the man who had the greatest power at that time under Minos and was his general, Taurus by name, who was not reasonable and gentle in his disposition, but treated the Athenian youth with arrogance and cruelty. And Aristotle himself also, in his Constitution of Botia, clearly does not think that these youths were put to death by Minos, but that they spent the rest of their lives as slaves in Crete and he says that the cretans once in fulfilment of an ancient vow sent an offering of their first-born to delphi and that some descendants of those athenians were among the victims and went forth with them and that when they were unable to support themselves there they first crossed over into italy and dwelt in that country round about Iapygia, and from there journeyed again into thrace and were called bottians and that this was the reason why the maidens of Botia, in performing a certain sacrifice, sing as an accompaniment, To Athens let us go. And verily it seems to be a grievous thing for a man to be at enmity with the city, which has a language and a literature. For Minos was always abused and reviled in the Attic theatres, and it did not avail him either that Hesiod called him quote, most royal, unquote, or that Homer styled him a confidant of Zeus, but the tragic poets prevailed, and from platform and stage showered obloquy down upon him, as a man of cruelty and violence, and yet they say that Minos was a king and lawgiver, and that Rhadamanthus was a judge under him, and a guardian of the principles of justice defined by him. Accordingly, when the time came for the third tribute, and it was necessary for the fathers who had youthful sons, to present them for the lot, fresh accusations against Aegeus arose among the people, who were full of sorrow and vexation, that he who was the cause of all their trouble alone, had no share in the punishment, but devolved the kingdom upon a bastard and foreign son, and suffered them to be left destitute and bereft of legitimate children. These things troubled Theseus, who, thinking it right not to disregard, but to share in the fortune of his fellow-citizens, came forward and offered himself independently of the lot. The citizens admired his noble courage, and were delighted with his public spirit, and Aegeus, when he saw that his son was not to be won over, or turned from his purpose by prayers or entreaties, cast the lots for the rest of the youths. Hellenicus, however, says that the city did not send its young men and maidens by lot, but that Minos himself used to come and pick them out, and that he now pitched upon Theseus first of all, following the terms agreed upon. And he says the agreement was that the Athenians should furnish the ship, and that the youths should embark and sail with him, carrying no warlike weapon, and that if the Minotaur was killed the penalty should cease. On the two former occasions, then, no hope of safety was entertained, and therefore they sent the ship with the black sail, convinced that their youth were going to certain destruction. But now Theseus encouraged his father, and loudly boasted, that he would master the Minotaur, so that he gave the pilot another sail, a white one, ordering him, if he returned with Theseus safe, to hoist the white sail, but otherwise to sail with the black one, and so indicate the affliction. Simonides, however, says that the sail given by Aegeus was not white, but quote, a scarlet sail dyed with the tender flower of luxuriant holm oak, unquote, and that he made this a token of their safety. Moreover, the pilot of the ship was Pheraclus, son of Amarsias, as Simonides says, but Philochorus says that Theseus got from Scyrus of Salamis Nesithous, for his pilot, and Fakes for his lookout man, the Athenians at that time not yet being addicted to the sea, and that Scirus did him this favor, because one of the chosen youths, Menestheus, was his daughter's son, and there is evidence for this in the memorial chapels for Nesathoes and Fakes, which Theseus built at Phalerum, near the temple of Scirus, and they say that the festival of the Cybernesia, or Pilate's Festival, is celebrated in their honor. When the lot was cast, Theseus took those upon whom it fell from the Praetenaeum, and went to the Delphineum, where he dedicated to Apollo, in their behalf, his suppliant's badge. This was a bough from the sacred olive-tree, wreathed with white wool. Having made his vows and prayers, he went down to the sea on the sixth day of the month of Munishon, on which day even now the Athenians still send their maidens to the Delphinium to propitiate the god. And it is reported that the god at Delphi commanded him in an oracle to make Aphrodite his guide, and invite her to attend him on his journey, and that as he sacrificed the usual she-goat to her by the seashore, it became a he-goat, Tregos, all at once, for which reason the goddess has the surname Epiturgia. When he reached Crete on his voyage, most historians and poets tell us that he got from Ariadne, who had fallen in love with him, the famous thread, and that having been instructed by her how to make his way through the intricacies of the labyrinth, he slew the Minotaur and sailed off with Ariadne and the youths. And Phrysides says that Theseus also stayed in the bottoms of the Cretan ships, thus depriving them of the power to pursue. And Daemon says also that Taurus, the general of Minos, was killed in a naval battle in the harbor as Theseus was sailing out. But as Philochorus tells the story, Minos was holding the funeral games, and Taurus was expected to conquer all his competitors in them, as he had done before, and was grudged his success. For his disposition made his power hateful, and he was accused of too great intimacy with Pasiphae therefore when theseus asked the privilege of entering the lists it was granted him by minos and since it was the custom in crete for women to view the games ariadne was present and was smitten with the appearance of theseus as well as filled with admiration for his athletic prowess when he conquered all his opponents minos also was delighted with him especially because he conquered taurus in wrestling and disgraced him and therefore gave back the youths to Theseus, besides remitting its tribute to the city. Caledamus, however, gives a rather peculiar and ambitious account of these matters, beginning a great way back. There was, he says, a general Hellenic decree that no trireme should sail from any port with a larger crew than five men, and the only exception was Jason, the commander of the Argo, who sailed about scouring the sea of pirates. Now when Daedalus fled from Crete in a merchant vessel to Athens, Minos, contrary to the decrees, pursued him with his ships of war, and was driven from his course by a tempest to Sicily, where he ended his life. And when Deucalion, his son, who was on hostile terms with the Athenians, sent to them a demand that they deliver up Daedalus to him, and threatened, if they refused, to put to death the youth whom Minos had received from them as hostages, Theseus made him a gentle reply, declining to surrender Daedalus, who was his kinsman and cousin, being the son of Merope, the daughter of Eric Theus. But privately he set himself to building a fleet, part of it at home in the township of Thymo far from the public road, and part of it under the direction of Pythias in troezen wishing his purpose to remain concealed when his ships were ready he set sail taking daedalus and exiles from crete as his guides and since none of the cretans knew of his design but thought the approaching ships to be friendly theseus made himself master of the harbour disembarked his men and got to Knossos before his enemies were aware of his approach then joining battle with them at the gate of the labyrinth he slew deucalion and his bodyguard and since Ariadne was now at the head of affairs, he made a truce with her, received back the youthful hostages, and established friendship between the Athenians and the Cretans, who took oath never to begin hostilities. There are many other stories about these matters, and also about Ariadne, but they do not agree at all. Some say that she hung herself because she was abandoned by Theseus, Others, that she was conveyed to Naxos by sailors, and there lived with Onerus, the priest of Dionysus, and that she was abandoned by Theseus, because he loved another woman. Quote, Dreadful indeed was his passion for Agil, child of Penopius. This verse Pesistratus expunged from the poems of Hesiod, according to Herias the Megarian, just as, on the other hand, he inserted into the inferno of Homer the verse... Quote, Theseus, Perithoos, illustrious children of heaven, Unquote. and all to gratify the Athenians. Moreover, some say that Ariadne actually had sons by Theseus, Onopion and Staphylus, and among these is Ion of Chios, who says of his own native city, quote, "This once Theseus's son founded, Onopion." Unquote. Now the most auspicious of these legendary tales are in the mouths of all men, as I may say, but a very peculiar account of these matters is published by Paeon the Amethusian. He says that Theseus, driven out of his course by a storm to Cyprus, and having with him Ariadne, who was big with child, and in sore sickness and distress from the tossing of the sea, set her on shore alone, but that he himself, while trying to succour the ship, was borne out to sea again. The women of the island, accordingly, took Ariadne into their care, and tried to comfort her in the discouragement caused by her loneliness, brought her forged letters, purporting to have been written to her by Theseus, ministered to her aid during the pangs of travail, and gave her burial, when she died before her child was born. Paeon says further that Theseus came back, and was greatly afflicted, and left a sum of money with the people of the island enjoining them to sacrifice to Ariadne, and caused two little statuettes to be set up in her honor, one of silver and one of bronze. He says also that at the sacrifice in her honor on the second day of the month, Gorpeus, one of their young men lies down and imitates the cries and gestures of women in travail, and that they call the grove in which they show her tomb, the grove of Ariadne Aphrodite, Some of the Naxians also have a story of their own, that there were two Minuses and two Ariadnes, one of whom, they say, was married to Dionysus in Naxos, and bore him Staphylus and his brother, and the other of a later time, having been carried off by Theseus, and then abandoned by him, came to Naxos, accompanied by a nurse named Corsini, whose tomb they show, And that this Ariadne also died there, and his honours paid her unlike those of the former, for the festival of the first Ariadne is celebrated with mirth and revels, but the sacrifices performed in honour of the second are attended with sorrow and mourning. On his voyage from Crete Theseus put in at Delos, and having sacrificed to the god and dedicated in his temple the image of Aphrodite which he had received from Ariadne, He danced with his youths a dance, which they say is still performed by the Delians, being an imitation of the circling passages in the labyrinth, and consisting of certain rhythmic involutions and evolutions. This kind of dance, as Dicaearchus tells us, is called by the Delians the crane, and Theseus danced it round the altar, called keraton, which is constructed of horns, kerata, taken entirely from the left side of tin head. They say that he also instituted athletic contests in Delos, and that the custom was then begun by him of giving a palm to the victors. It is said, moreover, that as they drew nigh the coast of Attica, Theseus himself forgot, and his pilot forgot, such was their joy and exultation, to hoist the sail which was to have been the token of their safety to Aegeus, who therefore in despair threw himself down from the rock, and was dashed in pieces." But Theseus, putting into shore, sacrificed in person the sacrifices which he had vowed to the gods at Philarum when he set sail, and then dispatched a herald to the city to announce his safe return. The messenger found many of the people bewailing the death of their king, and others full of joy at his tidings, as was natural, and eager to welcome him and crown him with garlands for his good news." The garlands then he accepted, and twined them about his herald's staff, and on returning to the seashore, finding that Theseus had not yet made his libations to the gods, remained outside the sacred precincts, not wishing to disturb the sacrifice. But when the libations were made, he announced the death of Aegeus. Thereupon, with tumultuous lamentation, they went up in haste to the city. Whence it is, they say, that to this day, at the festival of the Oscophoria, it is not the herald that is crowned, but his herald's staff, and those who are present at the libations cry out, Elilu, lo, lo, the first of which cries is the exclamation of eager haste and triumph, the second of consternation and confusion. After burying his father, Theseus paid his vows to Apollo on the seventh day of the month of Pianeption, for on that day they had come back to the city in safety. Now the custom of boiling all sorts of pulse on that day is said to have arisen from the fact that the youths who were brought safely back by Theseus put what was left of their provisions into one mess, boiled it in one common pot, feasted upon it, and ate it all up together. At that feast, they also carry the so-called erisione, which is a bough of olive wreathed with wool, such as Theseus used at the time of his supplication, and laden with all sorts of fruit offerings to signify that scarcity was at an end. And as they go along, they sing, "Erisione for us brings figs and bread of the richest, brings us honey in pots and oil to rub off from the body, strong wine too in a beaker." that one may go to bed mellow." Some writers, however, say that these rites are in memory of the Heraclidae, who were maintained in this manner by the Athenians, but most put the matter as I have done. The ship on which Theseus sailed with the youths and returned in safety, the thirty-oared galley was preserved by the Athenians down to the time of Demetrius Philarius. They took away the old timbers from time to time, and put new and sound ones in their places, so that the vessel became a standing illustration for the philosophers in the mooted question of growth, some declaring that it remained the same, others that it was not the same vessel. It was Theseus who instituted also the Athenian festival of the Oscophoria. For it is said that he did not take away with him all the maidens on whom the lot fell at that time but picked out two young men of his acquaintance who had fresh and girlish faces but eager and manly spirits and changed their outward appearance almost entirely by giving them warm baths and keeping them out of the sun by arranging their hair and by smoothing their skin and beautifying their complexions with unguents. he also taught them to imitate maidens as closely as possible in their speech their dress and their gait and to leave no difference that could be observed and then enrolled them among the maidens who were going to Crete, and was undiscovered by any. And when he was come back, he himself and these two young men headed a procession, arrayed as those are now arrayed who carry the vine-branches. They carry these in honour of Dionysus and Ariadne, and because of their part in the story, or rather because they came back home at the time of the vintage, and the women, called Diepnophoroi, or supper-carriers, take part in the procession, and share in the sacrifice, in imitation of the mothers of the young men and maidens on whom the lot fell, for these kept coming with bread and meat for their children. And tales are told at this festival, because these mothers, for the sake of comforting and encouraging their children, spun out tales for them. At any rate, these details are to be found in the history of Daemon. Furthermore, a sacred precinct was also set apart for Theseus, and he ordered the members of the families which had furnished the tribute to the Minotaur, to make contributions towards a sacrifice to himself. This sacrifice was superintended by the Fatalidae, and Theseus thus repaid them for their hospitality. After the death of Aegeus, Theseus conceived a wonderful design, and settled all the residents of Attica in one city thus making one people of one city out of those who up to that time had been scattered about and were not easily called together for the common interests of all nay they sometimes actually quarrelled and fought with each other he visited them then and tried to win them over to his project township by township and clan by clan The common folk and the poor quickly answered to his summons, to the powerful he promised government without a king, and a democracy in which he should only be commander in war and guardian of the laws, while in all else everyone should be on an equal footing. Some he readily persuaded to this course, and others fearing his power, which was already great, and his boldness chose to be persuaded, rather than forced to agree to it, Accordingly, after doing away with the town halls and council chambers and magistracies in the several communities, and after building a common town hall and council chamber for all, on the ground where the upper town of the present day stands, he named the city Athens, and instituted a panathenaic festival. He instituted also the Metousia, or festival of settlement, on the sixteenth day of the month Hecotombaeon, and this is still celebrated. Then, laying aside the royal power, as he had agreed, he proceeded to arrange the government, and that too with the sanction of the gods, for an oracle came to him from Delphi in answer to his inquiries about the city as follows. Theseus, offspring of Aegeus, son of the daughter of Pythias, may indeed the cities to which my father has given bounds and future fates within your citadel's confines. Therefore be not dismayed but with firm and confident spirit, counsel only, the bladder will traverse the seas and its surges. And this oracle, they say the sibyl afterwards repeated to the city when she cried, bladder may be submerged, but its sinking will not be permitted. Desiring still further to enlarge the city, he invited all men thither on equal terms, and the phrase, Come hither all ye people, they say was a proclamation of theseus when he established a people as it were of all sorts and conditions however he did not suffer his democracy to become disordered or confused from an indiscriminate multitude streaming into it but was the first to separate the people into noblemen and husbandmen and handicraftsmen to the noblemen he committed the care of religious rights the supply of magistrates the teaching of the laws, and the interpretation of the will of heaven, and for the rest of the citizens he established a balance of privilege, the noblemen being thought to excel in dignity, the husbandmen in usefulness, and the handicraftsmen in numbers. And that he was the first to show a leaning towards the multitude, as Aristotle says, and gave up his absolute rule, seems to be the testimony of Homer also, in the catalogue of ships, where he speaks of the Athenians alone as a people. He also coined money and stamped it with the effigy of an ox, either in remembrance of the Marathonian bull, or of Taurus, the general of Minos, or because he would invite the citizens to agriculture. From this coinage they say ten oxen, and a hundred oxen, came to be used as terms of valuation. Having attached the territory of Megara securely to Attica, he set up that famous pillar on the isthmus, and carved upon it the inscription giving the territorial boundaries. It consisted of two trimeters, of which the one towards the east declared, quote, Here is not Peloponnesus, but Ionia, unquote, and the one towards the west, quote, Here is the Peloponnesus, not Ionia. Unquote. He also instituted the games here, in emulation of Heracles being ambitious that as the Hellenes by that hero's appointment celebrated Olympian games in honour of Zeus, so by his own appointment they should celebrate Isthmian games in honour of Poseidon. For the games already instituted there in honour of Melasertes were celebrated in the night, and had the form of a religious rite rather than of a spectacle and public assembly. But some say that the Isthmian games were instituted in memory of Skiron and that Theseus thus made expiation for his murder, because of the relationship between them. For Sciron was a son of Canathus and Heniochi, who was the daughter of Pythias, and others have it that Sinus, not Scyron, was their son, and that it was in his honour, rather, that the games were instituted by Theseus. However that may be, Theseus made a formal agreement with the Corinthians that they should furnish Athenian visitors to the Isthmian Games with a place of honour as large as could be covered by the sale of the state galley which brought them thither, when it was stretched to its full extent. So Hellenicus and Andron of Halicarnassus tell us. He also made a voyage into the Euxine Sea, as Philochorus and sundry others say. ON A CAMPAIGN WITH HERACLES AGAINST THE AMAZONS, AND RECEIVED ANTIOPE AS A REWARD OF HIS VALOUR. BUT THE MAJORITY OF WRITERS, INCLUDING PHARICIDES, HELLENICUS, AND Herodorus, SAY THAT THESEUS MADE THIS VOYAGE ON HIS OWN ACCOUNT AFTER THE TIME OF HERACLES, AND TOOK THE AMAZON CAPTIVE. AND THIS IS THE MORE PROBABLE STORY, FOR IT IS NOT RECORDED THAT ANY ONE ELSE AMONG THOSE WHO SHARED HIS EXPEDITION TOOK AN AMAZON CAPTIVE and Bion says that even this Amazon he took and carried off by means of a stratagem. The Amazons, he says, were naturally friendly to men, and did not fly from Theseus when he touched upon their coasts, but actually sent him presents, and he invited the one who brought them to come on board his ship. She came on board, and he put out to sea. And a certain Menecrates, who published a history of the Bithynian city of Nicaea, says that Theseus, with Antiope on board his ship, spent some time in those parts, and that there chanced to be with him on this expedition three young men of Athens, who were brothers, Eunios, Thoas, and Solois. This last, he says, fell in love with Antiope, unbeknown to the rest, and revealed his secret to one of his intimate friends. That friend made overtures to Antiope, who positively repulsed the attempt upon her, but treated the matter with discretion and gentleness, and made no denunciation to Theseus. Then Soluus, in despair, threw himself into a river, and drowned himself, and Theseus, when he learned the fate of the young man and what had caused it, was grievously disturbed, and in his distress called to mind a certain oracle which he had once received at Delphi. For it had there been enjoined upon him by the Pythian priestess, that when in a strange land he should be sorest vexed and full of sorrow, he should found a city there, and leave some of his followers to govern it. For this cause he founded a city there, and called it from the Pythian god Pythopolis, and the adjacent river Solois, in honour of the young man. And he left there the brothers of Solois, to be the city's presidents and lawgivers, and with them Hermas. One of the noblemen of Athens. From him also the Pithopolitans call a place in the city the house of Hermes, incorrectly changing the second syllable, and transferring the honour from a hero to a god. End of Theseus, part two.